The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you to those of you who help promote the show and encourage others to listen as well. Very much appreciated, as I appreciate each and every one of you being here today. I want to do uh, today talk about 10 truths about Trump. And there is just so much going on out there. Uh, I spent some time over this past weekend uh, with a friend who was a never-Trumper, uh, also a radio talk show host, and um, one with whom, although we have been friends for a long time, uh, we have ardently disagreed, fervently fought over the Trump issue. As regular listeners to the show know, I began supporting Donald Trump early 2016, uh, about a year and a half ago already. So um, uh, at that time, or, or at that time, uh, my friend was already regarding Trump as a big joke. And uh, as Trump began to move closer and closer towards the nomination, uh, the, um, the, the fervor with which my friend uh, fought against Trump, the frenzied feelings that he experienced and spoke about against Trump just grew in intensity. Uh, all along, my enthusiasm for Donald Trump remained exactly as it had been. And, uh, and I clarify that, um, that when I speak about the ten truths, the very first truth I want to look at in the list of ten truths about Donald Trump, the very first one is Donald Trump is not George Washington. Neither is he Thomas Jefferson. Neither is he John Adams. But I'll tell you something, he is absolutely an L.B. Johnson or a John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He fits right in there, and uh, the jury is still out, but I wouldn't be at all surprised. Could happen, I could be wrong, but it could happen, that history will judge the administration of Donald Trump as a superior one to that of uh, L.B. Johnson and uh, a superior one to John F. Kennedy. Now, uh, that said, yes, Donald Trump is not George Washington, but you've got to remember that people usually get the leaders that they deserve. That's right. That, that really is true. Leader, people usually get the leaders they deserve. To suggest that uh, a country that was able to rouse itself to fight the British for independence is the same country that um, is now the United States of America. It's simply not true. Today we are a very divided country. You have a small proportion of outstanding people. And look, I travel the country. I see people that humble me 
by their patriotism and by their human greatness. By their human greatness, I mean their self-discipline, their self-restraint, their commitment to honor, their commitment to God, their commitment to family. Um, there are large numbers of truly wonderful Americans, but it's not a majority. It's not even close to a majority. It's a relatively small number. If I had to, if I had to guess, if I had to give a number, I'd say it's probably, and this, by the way, is, is not at all bad. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that in my view, about 30% of the 330-odd million of us uh, are people who really care, people who place values above pleasure, people who, pay, who place commitment to honor above hedonism. Uh, you know, and I'm not even setting the bar that high for, for myself. You know, it's, it's, it's a reasonable bar, and yet I only think that, uh, that we are in the company of about 30% of our fellow citizens. But we really do bring uh, the strength to the society. We bring the health and the vitality to a society. But overall, we have become a society that has descended into decadence, parts of it indeed into depravity. Why would you think <laughs> that we're entitled to George Washington? And so there were people who, who spoke about uh, Trump's many flaws, and heaven knows they are there, right? Just the same as your flaws are there and my flaws are there. But uh, the choice was never Donald Trump or George Washington. The choice was Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And because of that simple truth, I relive the irrepressible joy I felt late that night on Tuesday, November the 8th, 2016, when the votes began coming in for Donald Trump, that sheer unrestrained exuberance I felt then, I relive all the time because it remains absolutely true. And so, yes, uh, my first truth in this show, my first of my 10 Trump truths, Donald Trump is not George Washington, but that's completely irrelevant. He is not only every bit as good as we as a nation deserve, I actually think he may be a whole lot better. And my own personal view here is that I think the good Lord may be giving the United States of America a second chance because nobody that lacked the strength and uh, indifference to public opinion that Donald Trump enjoys, nobody that lacked those qualities stood any chance of beating Hillary Clinton and would stand any chance of achieving anything at all. People, oh, well, Donald Trump hasn't achieved much. He's achieved a whole lot already, by the way. That first Supreme Court appointment of Gorsuch, very important. But there are other things that he's achieved as well. And so, yes, the first truth is he's not George Washington. Fair enough, he isn't. But I'm still very happy he's in the White House. All right, uh, the second of today's 10 Trump truths. The second of today's 10 Trump truths is that Trump tweets. 
Yes, he does. Does it annoy you? So stop reading them. But the idea that somebody is going to be able to change his mind and tell him to stop doing that, you are confusing him with another Donald Trump, not the one that got elected on November the 8th. The Donald Trump that got elected on November the 8th is a man who, as far as I know, has not only never ever apologized to anybody, or at least not in public. He may have apologized to family members, etc. But um, he's a man who not only has never apologized, but proudly proclaims the fact that he does not apologize. He just doesn't apologize. That is a certain type of person. And you know what? It's a thick-skinned person. And it was a thick-skinned person that was needed to defeat Hillary Clinton. It's a thick-skinned person that is going to be needed to deal with a craven and unimpressive Republican Congress. It is a thick-skinned person who is needed in order to deal with the press. And it is a thick-skinned person that is needed in order to deal with the deep state, to deal with this enormous bureaucracy, carefully assembled over the Clinton years, never dismantled George during the George W. Bush years, and then reassembled and re-strengthened and put in place even more firmly by the Obama years. How far will Donald Trump be able to go with all this? We don't know that yet. But his ability to deal with it is part and parcel of his tweeting. It's called a thick-skinned, unapologetic man who simply doesn't care what other people think. Most of us are very sensitive to what other people think. And it makes for a civilized society. But the country is no longer being run by civilized people. Chuck Schumer is a malevolent snake in the grass, among many other congressmen. Donald Trump is a very straightforward guy. You pretty much know where you stand with him. And so the, uh, the second truth is the tweets are just part of who he is. And to say, oh, I wish he'd stop tweeting, that's so silly. <laughs> if, if that were true, you would be remaking him into somebody entirely different who wouldn't have been able to win and would not have been able to govern. All right, so that is the uh, second of the 10 Trump truths for today. And uh, before we go on to number three of the 10 Trump truths, we'll take a, a quick break. I'll remind you to visit the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Okay, rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, take a look at the product that I'm focused on very much these last couple of weeks. It's called The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. And uh, what it's about is answering the question that many people have, which is, hey, forget about the social concerns. Forget about abortion. Forget about homosexuality. Forget about uh, the vulgarity in entertainment. Forget about the language that is used conventionally in, in open society today. None of these things matter. All that matters is the military and the, and the economy. And it's sometimes hard to understand quite how those all interlink. 
and how utterly impossible it is to develop one while relinquishing the other. How impossible it is to build a strong economy with a weak social culture and vice versa. The linkage is a strong one and it's one that is explained in a two-hour audio program called The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. Your rabbi, that's me, quick break and then back on to the third of the 10 Trump Truths for today's show. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. But Kim Jong-un, I want to know because I I have a tendency to think, uh, while he's not stupid, he's a party animal. That's been well known for a while. So I would drug test him. I would drug test Duterte. I also think, uh, somebody said Angela Merkel. I got a text from Simpson. What about Angela Merkel? No, I just think she enjoys a beer every now and then hour. Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Blaze Radio Network On Demand with Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Welcome back, everybody. I am your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, reminding you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And one of the things that never changes is leadership. And so we're talking about our supreme leader. We're talking about uh, the uh, president of the United States of America. And I am talking about the 10 Trump truths. And so we move to number three. The Trump truth number three is that um, Trump is inexperienced in politics. But he's by no means the most recently inexperienced president in politics, not by any means at all. The third Trump truth is that uh, Barack Obama was considerably more inexperienced than Trump was. In fact, he had zero experience. A very short period of time in the, uh, in the Senate, during which time, during which very short time, he chiefly distinguished himself by absenting himself by making certain that he never, ever had to take any kind of a position that would require any form of intellectual or uh, integrity or any other kind of integrity. He simply wasn't there. He simply had zero political experience. So people speak, oh, Trump's so inexperienced in politics. Um, Hello. So was Barack Obama. And so what was Barack Obama's background? What did he have experience in? Academia, and if you please, community activism, community organizing. Now, when I'm in charge, one category of activity and occupation that will be terminated instantly, there will be no more community activists, there will be no more community organizers. You want to be a community organizer, do so on your own time. You want to be a community activist on your own time. But the idea that you're going to find a way to get paid to activate the community or to organize the community, you know what? We really don't need you. And the proof is that you may remember something called the government shutdown. Well, nothing stopped working. Everything worked fine. I promise you that if we get rid of every community activist and every single community organizer, I can assure you, everything will continue running. 
buses will run on time, TV will still be broadcast, the sun will still rise. We don't need community organizers. Academics? Well, that's a longer and more complicated discussion. So I'm not going to tell you what my plan is for academics when I'm in charge. But I will tell you this, that if I've got a choice between being friendly with a businessman or friendly with an academic, and I know nothing else about them. Look, I've got many academic friends, and they're lovely, wonderful people, but I have carefully selected them out of tens of thousands of academics I would never spend any time with. And, uh, but if I knew nothing else about the person other than that one is an academic and the other is a successful businessman, I'll choose the successful businessman. You know why? Because an academic career in no way teaches you to interact honestly with other human beings on a level playing field. You are either behaving in a supercilious and arrogant way towards students or people lower down the academic totem pole than you, or you are interacting with uh, fellow academics, fellow faculty members, um, in an utterly superficial kind of a way, um, maneuvering for prestige and position. No, I don't think so. Um, there is very little that academia has to do with real life. And uh, I, I like real life. I really do. I like real life. I, I like steak and fries. I don't like organic novo cuisine from a fancy California or Manhattan restaurant where they put a few pieces of greenery on your plate and some, a few other tiny little things you cannot recognize. You give me a 16-ounce steak with a plate of fries, that's okay for me. I don't even want to eat anything that I do not know how to pronounce or that I do not know how to spell. When it comes to uh, cars, I don't need anything fancy. I don't need anything environmental. I don't think need anything that has the stamp of Greenpeace on it. Just give me an internal combustion engine with preferably eight cylinders or more. I'm happy. That's all. Academia, it has nothing to do with real life. Nothing whatsoever. Business has everything to do with real life. You have to satisfy what other people really want and are willing to pay for. You have to satisfy your workers, the people who you employ, because they could be employed somewhere else. And so the whole business of business is pleasing other human beings. I would much rather be around people whose entire lifestyle is pleasing other people than to be around academics who have no connection whatsoever with the world of pleasing other people. And so if the choice was two politically inexperienced neophytes, Barack Obama or Donald Trump, uh, there's no question I would choose the successful businessman over the academic and the community organizer. Because in neither of those situations do you have to please any other 
human beings at all. A tenured academic has to please nobody. He doesn't even have to act with prudence because he's basically bulletproof. No businessman is bulletproof. And so uh, uh, people, people, so the, the, this uh, third Trump truth is that uh, there have been other presidents more inexperienced politically than Donald Trump. One of them was Barack Obama. And given that both are inexperienced, I'd pick a businessman over an academic or a politician any time. Um, you, you may remember Woodrow Wilson. Enough said, right? You want another academic for a president? In years to come, people will say, what was America thinking? Electing who, Donald Trump? No, that will make a lot of sense. People will say, what were you thinking when you elected Barack Obama? And I, uh, the, um, look, it's, it's a simple reality. Uh, that simply is true. Uh, okay, the uh, fourth, the fourth Trump truth is we know Trump's entire life. It's an open book. You cannot be as famous as Trump is. You cannot be as provocative as Trump is for as many years as Trump has been. Right? I mean, he's been on the public scene for nearly 50 years. Right? We know where he went to school. We know the trouble he had at school. We know the military academy he went to. We know everything about his marriages. Uh, my goodness, the, the, uh, the, the, the newspapers, the, the uh, uh, magazines, all of these journalists, they've been on top and all over Donald Trump for decades. I truly don't think the man has many secrets left. I really don't. I mean, is there anything about Donald Trump that you'd like to know and that you have even any slight right to know that you don't know? Fine. You want his, uh, you want his, his income tax returns? Um, I don't think that, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's initially something you have a right to have. But in terms of knowing about the man, you want to find out what Donald Trump got in his grades at college? No problem. You want to know, I mean, there's really not much in the way of secrets about Donald Trump. How's about Barack Obama? We don't know who paid his college tuition. We don't know his grades. Everything has had uh, secrets uh, slapped on them. The Obama administration was not shy about uh, locking down a whole lot of information about Barack Obama's life. You want details of his life in Hawaii? Forget about it. You want details of his life at Occidental College? You can't even get information about his life at Harvard. You cannot. With Donald Trump, it's all been out there. One of the great things I always thought about Donald Trump was that there were unlikely to be any bad surprises leading up to uh, November the 8th because pretty much everything was out there. I know, as you do, that the Washington Post had been digging and digging and digging. They assigned over 20 reporters for two months to dig into Donald Trump. Look, could any of our lives withstand that kind of scrutiny? And the worst they come up with was that horrible Access Hollywood uh, open mic conversation. 
right? It's nothing great, but if um, but is it the worst we've heard from any president? Of course not. But that was as bad as it got. Without Barack Obama, we still don't know a whole lot about that man's life. All right, um, quick break before we go on to number five. And uh, we'll um, uh, go to the website, please, at, at www.rabbidaniellappin.com. That would be great. Take a look at the audio program called um, the, uh, the Gathering Storm, uh, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. Uh, the Gathering Storm, the implication that you know how Europe, it must have felt in Europe in 1937, 1938, the opening years in 1939. Um, Winston Churchill was among many people who saw that the storm clouds were gathering. In fact, he even called one of the volumes of his History of the Second World War exactly that. Uh, the gathering storm identifies those things that even today should be concerning us, the storm clouds on the horizon. So take a look at that at rabbidaniellappin.com. You can also ask me a question. You can send me a, a letter. Uh, always love hearing from you, by the way. I really do. And, uh, and again, thanks to those who write. Thanks to those who help promote this podcast and pass the URL around to other people. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, quick break. And then I, your devoted rabbi, I'll be right back. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Revealing how the world really works. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, that's me, your rabbi, as uh, we continue with 10 Trump Truths. And the, uh, the last one we were looking at was uh, visibility. Right? Number four, that uh, you, it's, if you're going to put your life in someone else's hands, the more you know about that person, the better it is. Somebody about whom there are no more secrets, somebody whose life is an open book, is really a better bet than someone who has a lot of secrets. And remembering that the choice was not between Donald Trump and George Washington. No, the choice was between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And so I ask you a simple question. Who is more secretive? Who is guarding secrets? Whose life has many dark corners? It's so obvious. To me... This particular Trump truth, number four, was a very big one for me. Right? That pretty much, you know, you cannot be a celebrity businessman in New York City for 50 years and keep a lot of secrets. It just doesn't happen. Politicians, now they keep a lot of secrets. So uh, moving on to Trump truth number five. Uh, people say he's just a businessman. All he knows about is making money. I'm sure you've heard that particular slur from the left. And uh, I respond to it and say the Trump truth, number five, is that, yes, 
He is a businessman, not just a businessman, but he is a businessman. And what I have to say to those who say, oh, all he knows is how to make money. Well, do you know how to make money? Do you? Do you really think it's such a trivial matter? How are you accustomed to live? And what that does is reveal one of the terribly unhealthy divides that has separated America with a, uh, a canyon that cuts through the culture. On one side are the folks who simply have no money worries. And on the other are those who have to make ends meet week to week and month to month. That is one of the big divides in America. And if you want one of the clearest ways of knowing who voted for Donald Trump in November 2016 and who didn't, I'll give you a clue. Overwhelmingly, people with no money worries voted for Hillary. Overwhelmingly, those of us who have to work for a living and make ends meet voted for Donald J. Trump. To say he's just a businessman with a disparaging tone brings to mind uh, something I've, I've quoted before, and that is the Ayn Rand uh, speech in Atlas Shrugged, where she says that uh, people who disdain money, people who have contempt for money, right, are people who simply have never really earned it. They don't have any sense of its value. And, um, and conversely, those of us who work for money tend to respect it. Uh, we look at somebody who knows how to make money and makes it. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Because every single dollar that he earned, not every single dollar that he seized like politicians, but every dollar that he earned leaves in its wake a satisfied customer. There is no other way to make money. Right? People buy uh, apartments in Donald Trump buildings. People rent stores in Donald Trump buildings because he delivers value. Right? It's not done by backroom favors. It's not done with secret blackmail as goes on in Congress between members of Congress all the time. I don't think anyone had any doubt whatsoever about some of the shenanigans that carried on in the Clinton administration. And, uh, and so Trump is a businessman. Terrific. You know what? Harry Truman wasn't a half bad president. Having a business background for the presidency, I'd much rather have as a president somebody with a business background than somebody whose entire life has been in politics. The Founding Fathers themselves dreamed of a government made up of citizens, not a professional governing class. That was what they went away from. That was what England was about. Fine, in England we called it a monarch and a, uh, an aristocracy. But look what we've got in America today. The monarch may not be there, but the aristocracy is. And uh, it's people with advanced degrees. It's people who work in the, in 
government or in government agencies or in foundations. Do you know how many people make a living through foundations? Every community organizer, by the way, gets the majority of his money from various foundations. Uh, government grants. Do you know how many people make their living from government grants? And now we've got a president who knows how to make money. You know what? That's an okay skill. I'm not saying it's, necess it's necessarily a skill that he'll need in the presidency. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I can see aspects of it that might be. But the main thing is that his personality, all our personalities are shaped by the work we do, right? You understand that, and I'm sure, I, I don't think there's an awful lot of uh, argument about that. We are very much shaped by the work we do, and uh, in many, many ways, and, uh, and there's so many beautiful examples of that. But I'd much rather bring into the White House somebody shaped by business than somebody shaped by politics, by academia, or by community organizing. Right, that's, that's pretty clear. Um, number six, Trump truth number six, is that, um, the, uh, that Trump is vulgar and self-serving. Right, I'm sorry, uh, Trump truth number six is that people say that uh, Donald Trump is vulgar and self-serving. Look, that train left the station with Lyndon Baines Johnson. And that train left the station with John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Vulgar? You want to talk about vulgar? Those guys were vulgar. You want to talk about self-serving? Those guys were self-serving. So um, to suggest that, oh, American politics is tarnished as never before because we now have a president who is vulgar and self-serving, come on. Do me a favor. Me think the lady doth protest a little too much. Right? Get some smelling salts and grow up. Uh, sorry. We've, uh, this has been a part of American politics for a long time. Uh, do you know that, um, that Humer Aberden, right? Uh, that, uh, Hillary Clinton's um, chief of staff, best buddy, gal pal, uh, her husband, Anthony Weiner, he was actually heading places in American politics, and I don't for a moment doubt that he'd have made it. He would have got places. Vulgar and self-serving little twerp that he was? Yes. How about uh, Mr. Spitzer? Call girl number nine. Right? Elliot Spitzer, vulgar and self-serving individual? Of course he is. And so now you want to tell me that Donald Trump is vulgar and self-serving? He's not even close to the most vulgar or the most self-serving we've had in American politics. Not even close. As a matter of fact, I must tell you that having somebody in the White House who doesn't need to be enriched through politics, and I don't have to tell you the extent to which American politicians become enriched in office, right? It's a miracle, isn't it? Right? They don't accept handouts or bribes, heaven forbid, of course not. 
But isn't it a miracle how they all leave office? Extremely wealthy people? <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't have to do that. I find that curiously reassuring. I really do. Okay, so um, uh, he's vulgar and self-serving? I don't think so. I don't think that's a legitimate claim. You want to make that claim? You're going to have to make it about a whole lot of Trump's predecessors before you get to him. So uh, before we get then to uh, Trump truth number seven, we're going to take a quick break. First of all, again, I ask you to visit the, uh, the, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. And, uh, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do something that's not in your interests. If uh, you look through uh, things like The Gathering Storm, you look through some of the books there, and you say, hey, not for you, fine, not for you. That's good, no problem. It's a beautiful thing about business. I cannot force you to part with your money. I can only try and give you something of greater value than the amount of your money I'm trying to win. And if I succeed in giving you something of greater value, then you hand your money over to me, and that makes me happy because I needed your money more than I needed the, the book or the audio program. And for your part, you gain something which is more valuable to you than the money. Otherwise, you never would have made that transaction. And so uh, this is plain and simple advertising. That's what this is all about. I'm saying please visit my website at rabbidaniellappin.com and you might possibly make us both happier. If there's nothing there that interests you, no harm, no foul. I've got no problem with that. You should have no problem with that. But uh, at least take a look at rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, the product that I am promoting at a special price for listeners to the podcast is The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. You can read more about it at rabbidaniellappin.com. But uh, there are a whole lot of other stuff. Just navigate over to the store and uh, meander around and see something that brings value into your life. Buy it. Make us both happy. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Be back with you in just a moment. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Hello, everybody. Your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. And uh, one of the ways that really works is when we expose the truth and banish the darkness. And this show is all about the 10 Trump truths. And we're up to number seven. Here's uh, Trump truth number seven. Jerks can have great kids. That is true. It is possible for jerks to have fantastic kids. And you and I, I'm sure we all know, real jerks who somehow or another were blessed with wonderful children. 
But let me tell you something. Wonderful children do not retain relationships with jerky parents. They break away and they move on. That is a real truth. And so uh, President Donald Trump has great kids. Right? This is something that really bothers the left because it's indisputable. I don't doubt for a moment that the left is as determined to try and bring down his kids as they are to bring down the president himself. A determined effort to try and implicate Eric Trump in, uh, in the non-story about Russia. Uh, many attempts to try and damage uh, the uh, fashion brand of his daughter. Uh, many attempts to try and implicate his son-in-law. Uh, all of these are, are part of the mean-spirited and uh, vindictive practices of the left. The left has really substituted vindictiveness for honor and for policy reality. And so just remember, it is absolutely possible for jerks and idiots to have wonderful kids. But when wonderful kids retain a relationship with their parents, you can know that they're not jerks. That is such a simple truth. It should be self-evident. I would have thought that all on its own, that should have been enough for everybody to vote for Donald Trump. Everybody. Uh, and it's not just one child. He's got a bunch of children. A bunch of them. And they are all they all seem solid citizens. Um, I've also mentioned in the past that uh, he has a number of ex-wives. Okay, fine. Right. It, is it an ideal? No. Do I wish it on you or any of my friends? No. I wish you all long, happy marriages uh, to your original spouse. But there he is. Let me ask you, how many people do you know with two ex-spouses out there and those two ex-spouses have nothing bad to say. Now, uh, you, uh, many people go, oh, he's paid them off, he's paid them off. Look, um, paying off people only goes so far. Blackmail never works forever. It just doesn't. And so this notion that really Donald Trump's ex-wives are seething cauldrons of hatred and cold contempt for this man to whom they were married. But they're not saying a word to any of the journalists that have been pursuing them now for two years or actually for even much longer than that. It, it, it defies rational thinking. It just defies rational thinking. So uh, you got a guy who is certainly controversial, been in the public eye, and uh, he, uh, he has ex-wives and he has a bunch of kids and they all retain a good relationship with him. Pretty impressive, I'd say. Really is. Okay, let's go to uh, Trump truth number eight. Um, Trump truth number eight is that mean-spirited and petty little men have small appetites for minuscule little things. The bigger you are as a human being, and I don't mean physically big. I mean the bigger you are spiritually. Now, I know some of you are going to uh, struggle with this concept, but I ask you to think about it before you reject it. 
Don't, you know, because the minute we hear something new and we say, ah, that's garbage, that's rubbish, I'm not going to pay any attention, it's finished. Your opportunity for changing your mind, for your opportunity for expanding your vision, your opportunity for learning something has just flown out of the window. And so uh, what I try and do, I don't think I always succeed, but what I try and do when I hear something that I am passionately disposed to reject, I do my best to say, you know, let me just withhold judgment on that. I know it's hard. My instinct is to say that's complete garbage, and maybe it is. But let me just be open to the argument. Let me just hear what the argument is. And so I, I urge you to do the same thing, which is that to understand that the bigger a human being is, the greater his urges, the greater are his appetites. Now, a truly great human being is able to restrain those urges and restrain those appetites. But to... Um, I, I don't know if I've told you this story uh, in, in the past, but um, my uh, teacher was, one of my main teachers, was my great uncle. And he was a man who was well into his 80s when, uh, uh, when I studied with him. And uh, uh, a friend of mine wanted to attend a wedding, and, and one tended to get permission for leaving the academy from one's teacher's. Uh, he wanted to leave for a few days to attend a, uh, a family wedding. A cousin of his was getting married. And, um, and my great uncle, who was his teacher as well as mine, said to him, uh, what will be the behavior and the, uh, the clothing at the wedding? He said, well, I'll be honest with you. Um, the women will be dressed very um, flirtatiously and fashionably and... Uh, uh, not in any way modestly, and, and the beha behavior will be, there'll be a certain amount of, of uh, drunkenness, and look, it's going to be a, one of these weddings that is not how I'd like my wedding to be, but it's, it is what it is. And so uh, my uncle, my great uncle said, so you want to go? He said, yeah, I'm going to go because I can really shut my eyes to all of that. I, I really don't even see it at all. So uh, my, my great uncle said to him, okay, fine, I'm giving you permission to go, but before you go, I want you to stop in and visit uh, this friend of mine. So uh, he, he calls up and says, um, um, Rabbi Lappin asked me to, to visit with you. And the man said, well, you know, I am a, uh, a doctor, so I'm not sure what, he, is anything, are you suffering from any? He said, no, all right, fine. Anyway, after it, he comes back, and, uh, and he, he, he goes to visit his teacher, my uncle, and he says, I, I'm back. I just want to thank you for letting me go. And he, but I have one question. Why did you want me to contact uh, Dr. So-and-so before I went? And my great-uncle said, well, because I thought you needed to see a doctor. He said, really? Why? I'm okay. He said, well, it's just that you said to me that you don't see um, uh, provocatively dressed women. And I'm telling you, I'm 80 years old, and I certainly do see it. And you are 22, and you're telling me you don't see it? There's something wrong with you. You're not feeling things. And it's a, it's a very important point. The idea that a, um, a very spiritual person has no sexual urges and uh, has no appetites for anything, it's simply not true. It's just that the, the really uh, saintly and spiritual sages are able to control and restrain those urges, but it doesn't mean they're not there. And the truth is that um, one of the things I kind of liked about Bill Clinton was his appetites. 
I don't think it was good that he indulged them. It wasn't good for him. It certainly wasn't good for the country. It certainly wasn't good for the women whom he abused. All of that is, is horrible. But I like the fact that he had those appetites. Uh, I would have preferred he restrained them. But not having them, my friends, is a sign of a dried-up, desiccated, twisted, tight, repressed, tiny, little human being. It's, it's much better when people have the appetites and restrain them than when they don't have them at all. And uh, in the case of, um, of Donald Trump, yeah, he's got his appetites, no question about it. And we know what they are. He knows what they are. And there it is. It would be nice if they were much more restrained. But having them unrestrained is better than not having them at all. It suggests a real person, and it suggests somebody of a certain uh, spiritual magnitude. I know it may not seem instantly evident, but it's true. I don't want to make every comparison with President Trump uh, to be with um, former President Obama, but uh, I saw Obama, and I still do, as a very little man, a small and petty man, uh, a man who was mean-spirited and had no magnanimity or generosity of spirit. I saw him as a very small person. And, um, and you know what? It, it seems to me the only appetite he had was for smoking cigarettes. Wasn't able to control that either. So uh, that would have been my uh, Trump truth number eight. And my Trump truth number nine is that um, it is very easy to ascribe masculinity or femininity to leaders, is it not? Right. Uh, Donald Trump is a masculine leader. There's no question about it. He's male. That is not hard to tell. Do you see that Obama was sort of somewhat, somewhat androgynous? If, if anything, was really female. You know, people used to say, oh, you know, he's so elegant. and so, uh, this, this is one that, you know, you either see or you don't. I'm not going to try and uh, argue it. If, if you just shake your head at this one, so be it. But uh, Trump truth number nine is that he's male. Ronald Reagan was male. Um, George W. Bush, what do you think? I'm, I, I'm, I think he's on the scale there. Um, He's not a girl, like I think Obama was a girl. I really do. Um, no, I think no internal strength of a masculine kind at all. Uh, I think Donald Trump is male. George W. Bush, yeah. On the, if, if 10 is male and, uh, and zero is, is female, or the other way around, folks, this is not a sexist comment. I'm just trying to give you a scale. I'd, I'd say if uh, on the masculinity scale, if, if Trump is, uh, shall we say, an eight and a half or a nine, I think George W. Bush was a four or a five. Right? I'd, I'd tell you the truth. I, I really don't see him. And by the way, I think masculinity in a leader is enormously important. It's one of the reasons that throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Hebrew Bible, God is uh, depicted as male. Now, to, to think that God has the attributes of genitalia is complete nonsense and childish. But to be perceived as masculine is important. 
because uh, leadership is very helpful when leadership has masculine traits, right? Uh, General Patton in World War II was masculine. Uh, General Admiral Nimitz was masculine. Uh, General Douglas MacArthur was masculine. Right? I, I don't know of many World War II leaders who were feminine type people. I just don't know of many. Um, what about women leaders in business? Well, just read the women's magazines. Don't listen to me. And you'll see how worried they all are about the clash between the needs of leadership and femininity. Everybody recognizes that there's a clash between the needs of leadership and natural femininity. Yeah, they don't go together. I'm sorry, they just don't. And so uh, one of the reasons I would have thought that Donald Trump should have won everybody's vote is, you know what? In a troubled world, a male president is a refreshing change. Happy to have him. I'm pleased you didn't ask me where on the masculine-feminine scale I'd have put Bill Clinton. Uh, now we go on to number 10, Trump truth number 10. And indeed, we are winding down. Uh, this one is, um, is, I wish I would have come up with this formulation myself. I admire it. Um, it was a woman journalist whose name eludes me for the moment. I could look it up. But it's, it's such an excellent quote that if you want to know her name, uh, just Google it, and I'm quite sure she will come up as the originator of the line. What she said was that uh, those who hate Donald Trump take him literally and not seriously. The right way to understand Donald Trump is to take him seriously, but not literally. And, uh, and most of us who were comfortable with Donald Trump did exactly that. We, we laughed at the tweets. We still laugh at all the tweets. We don't take everything he says to be absolutely literal. We don't do that. But we certainly take him seriously. Right? And uh, would, would it be better, you know, would, would we have more admiration for a person who had such verbal self-discipline that everything he said was both literal and serious? Sure, that would be great. But uh, there are many people whose words should not be taken literally, but should be taken seriously. Uh, the mistake the left made was to jump on everything he said and probe its literal meaning, which was absurd and ridiculous, whilst all the time they forgot to take him seriously. A bad way to go when it came to Donald J. Trump. Okay, folks, that's it. That's the 10 Trump truths for today's show, and uh, I very much hope that you found it useful, perhaps even a mite entertaining. That's, that's my hope. Uh, at any rate, we are at the end of today's show, which means that until next week, your rabbi, that's me, I wish you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin.